Hi friends, welcome to The Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, and this is a podcast about unbearably emotional experiences and how to cope with the traces they leave on our lives. I'm a PhD trauma researcher and life coach, and it's my goal in life to change the way that we define, understand, and treat trauma. Trauma is not actually a sign of weakness or disorder. It's a biological response born of strength and the will to survive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal. We bring together my background and research with our own lived experiences of trauma to help you and our listeners better understand and stop shaming ourselves for being human. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. Okay, so one of the things we wanted to do today was talk a little bit about who we are because we haven't done that a lot. And the reason for that is because we don't like talking about it. <laughs> We've established. So I'll tell you a little bit about me and then um, Elizabeth will, will tell you a little bit about herself and we can ask each other questions. Maybe that'll make it easier for us. Okay, I like right? that. We're um, both good at questions. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, instilled in us from a very young age. Yeah, to ask questions. Um. So I'm MC. I have a PhD in, in, in I have an interdisciplinary degree. Um, I call it trauma studies. That doesn't actually really exist fully. Um, but I bring together philosophy, psychology, and neuroscience to look critically at the field of psychology in general. And my specialty within that area is trauma. So I've been researching trauma for uh, more years than I would like to admit. Cause I just realized I was saying 10 years and it was longer than that. And I don't like that. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started, um, I did a master's degree in psychoanalysis and philosophy, and I focused on Freud and, uh, mourning and loss. And actually the timing of that just happened to coincide with, the death of both of our parents in 2005 and 2008, um, which was a bizarre experience because I sort of felt like, you know, I had started researching that and writing about it and then they died. And so it sort of felt like the universe was going like, okay, you want to talk about mourning? Here you go. <laughs> you know, right. um, Not that I actually believe that it works that way, but the timing was interesting. And then, um, when I went to my PhD program, I picked trauma as a, uh, as a topic. And so, um, somewhere in grad school, I got a life coaching certification. So I've been coaching as alongside my research and, um, writing and, um, and teaching. I'm on my third book right now. Um, so I'm a writer as well, which feels like a weird thing to say, but it's the thing. <laughs> After the third book, you can say that. Right? Like, <laughs> right. At what point does it feel comfortable? You know? <laughs> Guess what? You're a writer. Right. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Do you have questions? Did I skip anything? No, no. I think that's a, that's a really great summary. Um, I'm Elizabeth and I'm 11 years older than MC and uh, my career was um, is has been in retail management, um, buying, uh, organizational psychology, and kind of art history. And I'm kind of an approaching a, a design career at this point. Um, so I've had a lot of different experiences, a lot of human resources, a lot of managing large teams, small teams. Um, in different retail organizations um, in Boston, in the Boston area and in the Southeast down in Virginia. And, um, you know, I, I've always been interested in what Mac was studying. And um, I said to her pretty recently, you know, I could go back to school or you could just teach me everything, you know, <laughs> Or I could just talk to you more in a, in a formal way because everything you're studying are, are the things that I have always been um, incredibly interested in. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how we used to have these conversations with our mother and we would just kind of sit around wherever we were and get into, um, 
I guess for the most part, family, familial relations, mm-hmm. relationships and personality stuff. And, um, you know, we, we always went deep, you know, mm-hmm. in our conversations. So whether we wanted to or not, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we were not uh, willing participants, but, um, you know, we, I, I learned a lot from those conversations and I had missed those when, you know, when mom died in, uh, 2008. And I, I'm really happy that we are in a place where we are kind of continuing those conversations, you know, and, I, and I'm learning and I feel like it's a great um, way to remember mom mm-hmm. and um, kind of go forward. Mm-hmm. So that's my background. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> I was just thinking about, you know, it's, it's, Again, like we don't, I I think that the unconscious is operating a lot of the time and kind of pushing us in certain directions that we don't, we're not fully aware of. And that's a good thing, you know? And I think that, um, you know, I, uh, a lot of the conversations that we were having with mom were about trauma. You know, I don't think we used that language because no one was really talking about it then, but she was very, especially at the end of her life, really urgently trying to, um, I think she sort of felt that that she was dying and and was that wasn't conscious to her but um there was some kind of knowing that she was coming to the end of her road and she was very she, there was this urgency she was really trying to understand the trauma that that is in her family line right and how to um understand it to in order to avoid repeating it um right and it's so I think that we, we weren't using all these same words, but we've been talking about this, I feel like, for our whole lives, really. We have. We have. You're right. You're right. I, and I think for for moms, she was um, finally realizing that she had experienced trauma. Yeah. I think she denied that mm-hmm. for a long time. And um, towards the end of her life, she... I think the gravity of what she had been through personally was starting to um, sink in a little bit. Totally. And I think interestingly, like the denial of that was both, this is actually weirdly kind of the theme of today too. It was both the thing that saved her and also the thing that got in her way, you know, like, yes, because there was this sort of black box of uh, her life that she didn't, understand that really I think just got in the way a lot of the time not that she wasn't wild you know she was very high functioning you know um yeah yeah I right I mean we could talk about this for days Mm -hmm. but I think her the way her trauma manifested looked different from the way that um, it manifested for other members of her family. And um, it wasn't as easily uh, recognizable mm-hmm. to her. So, right. Which but, really kind of underlines the importance of understanding the incredibly large spectrum of symptoms and, and ways that trauma can show up. It's not always, we have these examples that are super vivid um, right unhealthy coping is kind of the topic of today's letter, but we have, and we have these really vivid experiences and, and like examples of, you know, using substances to numb um, or something like that and having your life kind of fall apart. But there are coping mechanisms that are quietly unhealthy and that kind of prevent you from thriving in these small ways and those are really important to understand too, because if we understand them, then we're more likely to change our relationship with them, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Oh, so yeah. So that's well, us. Yeah, that's who we are. <laughs> <laughs> we felt like we should introduce ourselves a little bit more. Um, okay. Do you want to get into the letter for today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. This, um, this person didn't doesn't have a, just said sincerely. So I'll just jump into it. I was a sophomore in college when I was sexually assaulted by an acquaintance. He left me in the streets without any shoes or winter coat. And I was homeless for two days before the cops found me causing a public disturbance. I've done all the work, gone to several therapists and psychiatrists, 
went the homeopathic route and got acupuncture and Chinese medicine, purchased a soul cycle bike and an elliptical. But the main thing I still struggle from my trauma is this, my body. I've gained over 135 pounds since the sexual assault. And my latest revelation with my therapist was that I use my body and food as a way to shield myself from possibly being raped again. That my story is I emotionally eat and have gained weight as a result of my trauma, as well as being diagnosed with bipolar disorder since the sexual assault and struggling with the side effects of being on medication. How do I stop dissociating from my body and tell my body to stop eating itself to an early death? What can I start doing to shed the emotional weight? Where do I go from now? Mm -hmm. That's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. So you asked about your coping, not about your trauma. So we're going to focus on your coping and talk about healthy and unhealthy coping. But I do also just want to say that um, I'm sorry for what you went through. That's horrible. Yeah. I, 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 I can't even imagine um, being the victim of something like that. I, I, I truly don't understand how you go forward from there. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that we do is one of the most amazing human triumphs and it gets lost and we become ashamed of it because we survive sometimes by reaching for coping mechanisms that are not, that turn out to be not so healthy, you know? Right. So I just want to jump in. There's, I have a bunch of things to say and I want to make sure we, we, but I, okay. You're not alone in this. And I want to say that that um, putting on weight and keeping it on are both documented coping techniques um, that both men and women um, engage in after violence, especially sexual violence. So I just want to say that because um, I just want to kind of demystify that coping technique because there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Um, like we were just talking about a minute ago when it comes when it comes to our mom that Sometimes coping mechanisms are really obvious and sort of like, what is the word I'm looking for? Not cliche, but like expected or like we, we, you know, the veteran who is um, abusing substances in order to numb, like we expect that we recognize it, we see it, but other coping mechanisms are not talked about. Um, and part of that is because of the shame around obesity in general, right? So you've got like layers and layers of shame working. Um I want to quote, even just, just to kind of back this up even further. Um, so Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. We talk about it all the time. Everybody should read it. If you have not read this, letter writer, please go read it. Um, in chapter nine, he's talking about the way, he's talking about coping essentially. And he's talking about the way that trauma can take itself out in the body, right? The One of the main ideas in the book is that the body like we think of trauma as a psychological mind thing, but it's the body's along for the ride. Like if they're not separate. <laughs> so your, you know, trauma affects the, um, the body. And he talks about a rape victim who says overweight is overlooked. And that's the way I need to be. Weight can protect men as well. Uh, Vincent Felitti rec uh, recalls two guards at a state prison in his obesity program they promptly regained weight they had lost because they felt a lot safer being the biggest guy on the cell block. Another male patient became obese after his parents divorced and he moved in with his violent alcoholic grandfather. He explained, it wasn't that I ate because I was hungry and all that. It was just a place for me to feel safe. All the way from kindergarten, I used to get beat up all the time. When I got the weight on, it didn't happen anymore. Although widely understood to be harmful to help each adaptation such as smoking, drinking, drugs, obesity, is notably difficult to give up. Little consideration is given to the possibility that many long-term health risks might also be personally beneficial in the short term. We repeatedly hear from patients of the benefits of these health risks. The idea of the problem being a solution, while understandably disturbing to many, is certainly in keeping with the fact that opposing forces routinely coexist in biological symptoms. 
when one sees the presenting problem is often only the marker for the real problem, which lies buried in time, concealed by patient shame, secrecy, and sometimes amnesia, and frequently clinician discomfort. So sorry, that was a long passage. (laughs) I just quoted, I feel like I should have warned you. But I think it's really important to kind of pause here and just understand that you say in in the letter, and I think this is you're speaking to something that other people have experienced as well, um, when it comes to coping, the problem is is also a solution. And we need to kind of understand that first. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, coping is a natural and life-saving adaptation to trauma. So if trauma is unbearable experience, when we can't bear something, but we have to endure it, we have to go on, we adapt. And so you reached for food as a way to make yourself safe. And it's critical that you forgive yourself for that for two reasons. One, it saved your life. And two, you cannot make change by shaming yourself. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So that, so that she was trying to protect herself. Right. So she was trying to take care of her. It's almost like a, a coping thing got, um, you know, faulty wiring in a way. Mm-hmm. Like the intention was was to, to protect herself. Yep. But it's not even faulty wiring. The wiring is actually working exactly as it should. Right, right, right. You're like, I need to, and this is, we can use the example of substance abuse too, right? Like I need to numb out. I, I'm so overwhelmed that I, I that I cannot function. Like I need to numb out. And so you reach for something that numbs you. Yeah. And that could be alcohol. That could be food. That could be sex. That could be, you know, uh, Instagram scrolling like that, that could be. And it's super important that we understand that that coping is inherently life-giving. Okay. I understand what you're saying. But like at some point you might want to say like, okay, I'm ready to have a different way of disconnecting or I'm ready to have a little bit more control over disconnecting so that it feels like a choice and not a compulsion. Mm-hmm. I get the question a lot, like, and this is really hard to like, to, to kind of understand. I feel like I talked about this last time, but um, I get the question a lot of like, okay, I'm watching TV or I am scrolling through Instagram or I'm you know, drinking a couple times a week, like I'm numbing. So that's bad. And that's just wrong. Like we need, again, we need like a more nuanced understanding of numbing. Numbing is necessary. Sometimes what you want to do is be able to engage with it like a tool rather than something that has power over you. And so sometimes that may mean like that if you've been reaching for alcohol to numb and you're realizing that you no longer have control over your, your use of that substance, then you don't throw out the numbing. That's necessary. You throw out the alcohol and then you're like, okay, what can I engage with in a way that's more safe? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. These are biological adaptations that we've evolved and they're actually really cool. Like I know it doesn't sound that way and it, it might not feel that way. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's sort of genius that when the body feels unsafe, it protects itself by putting on and holding weight. Right. And by the way, this also happens when you have elevated stress hormones. So when you're not even overeating, right, when you're just um, living through a pandemic, for example, you may find that it's hard to, you may find that you gain weight around your belly and that it's hard to take it off. One of the reasons is because it has nothing to do with what you're eating or, or your activity level, but the fact that cortisol and stress hormones Um, are sending messages to your body that you're in danger. And so holding on to weight is a way to be stronger, more hardy. And so your body has evolved like a genius thing to not lose too much weight too fast. Okay. That's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. I I think you're right, though, understanding that it's hardwired sometimes to do these things will take the shame out of it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's not, um, it's not your fault, you know? No, it's like a a biological response. Right. 
to right. be safe, to want to be safe. Right. There's this is sort of a gross example, but like <laughs> one the easiest way to think about this is that we've not all animals can like can throw up, right? Right. So when you eat something poison, your body rejects it. Right. You don't choose that. If you would choose, if you could choose, you'd probably choose not to. <laughs> your body is is saving you. And it's not pleasant. You wouldn't want to then say like, oh, this is a thing I want to do all the time, right? You would say like, oh, this is really unpleasant and it saved my life. Those two things can coexist at the same time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I know that's kind of gross, but. <laughs> no, no, it helps. It makes sense. Um, so you picked this coping technique and you know, you did that unconsciously and there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Um, from a biological level, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Your body's just keeping itself alive. Um, so, so could you get to a place where you actually like kind of thank it for that rather than shame it? Oh, I love that. You know, cause it's, I always say to people like you, you, could you forgive yourself for what you reached for when you, you know, when you were struggling like right. it's okay. You were struggling. That's why you reached for that, you know? Well, there's no need to add to the struggle either. Right. You know, you, right. you, you made that decision in that moment, or you, not even consciously. Right. Right. For the most part. Right. And I think like you, you, all the science on, on change and how to make change says that you, you get a lot more traction with compassion than shame. So if you can't get to this place where you're forgiving yourself and feeling gratitude and all that stuff yet, that's okay. But just lean on the science and be like, okay, if I want to be more likely to actually feel different and eat different and move differently, then I need to not, I need to like let go of this shame because it's going to get in my way. Yeah. I need to get out of that cycle. Right. Totally. Okay. Okay. There's a sneaky thing in the letter. Um, I've done all the things, right? I've the, done all the work. Yes, I've done yeah. all the things. Yeah. Um, this is charged and it's important to figure out how, right? And you're you're not here, so we can't ask you questions about it, but it could be frustration. Like it could just be like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I'm frustrated that I'm not healing fast enough, but there's judgment in that. Mm-hmm. And you have to let that go. Um, a brutally violent and terrifying thing happened to you, and it might take a very long time to integrate that. That's okay. It's also likely that some pieces of that experience are going to stick around maybe forever. That's okay. You can shift how you relate to those pieces, and this will change how you feel in general completely. But you have the frame of like, there's something in here. And again, I don't know like what the particulars are, but typically it's like, I'm doing this wrong or I should be here by now. And I'm not, do you know what I mean? Like, right. That yeah. I, well, I think with integration too, you know, it's, you know, I, I can only speak to my own experience and my own trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, I have done things. I've done a lot of different things and I am continuing to do things mm-hmm. to, to help integrate that into my life. I, this is a, this is never going to end right for me. Right. Um, and the things, some of the things that I've tried have worked and some of them have not, and I'm going to continue to try yeah. to, to integrate, um, it into my life and, and make it part of my journey. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah, I think you're right. Once you get into that, well, I did X, Y, and Z and I'm, I'm frustrated because I don't feel better. Right. Is, um, is judgmental. Right. Right. It's painful. Right. Totally. I love the toolbox idea. I kind of came up with this randomly when I was working on a project this summer and like became completely obsessed with it where it's like, Okay, instead of everyone's always looking for the one thing that's going right. to fix it. Here's the one pill, here's the one method, here's the meditation tape I'm going to do that's going to fix all my problem, you know, like and it's we're, we're that's a very like that comes from a very earnest and sweet place where we just want to be better. We don't want to feel like this anymore. Um but we have to come to a place of acceptance that we need a toolbox, not just one tool. 
because if you were if you buy a home and you you now own it, you you don't just have a hammer and that's it. You have a hammer and a wrench and all these other things and a screwdriver and a drill and that's about all I know about tools. <laughs> <laughs> and not only do you have those tools, like it might be frustrating when the um you know, the dishwasher starts leaking for the ninth time that year. Right. And that frustration is real. Like that's not, you know, that's just a feeling. There's nothing you can do about it, but feel it. But the more you use the tool, the quicker you learn how to fix the dishwasher, you know? And if you have a whole toolbox, you don't need to go to Home Depot every single time you have a project or something breaks because, you know, the metaphor starts to break down. But um, we need tools, not just one thing. We need to, to accept the fact that we are owners of a body that experiences trauma and that we need tools sometimes to fix it. And that sometimes certain tools are going to work super well and other times are going to call for different tools. And then we need to get used to using the tools so that we're good at them. So that when something breaks or, or is leaking or whatever, we reach for the right tool quickly and we know how to use it. Because you can have, and this happens a lot in, in, in this world, you can you can become a collector of tools. I have meditation. I have yoga. I did this training. I did that thing. I have a certification in this. I went to EMDR. I know who to call when I, you know, but if you don't know how to use the tools, you don't know when to reach for them. Right. And they're ineffective. If I have a huge giant toolbox in my garage that has all the tools in the land, but I don't know what they're called or what they're for, I'm, I'm still as useless as if I didn't have any tools at all when it comes to the dishwasher. Right. You have to know how to use the tools. Right. You have to, yeah. Yeah. And be, and, and like, that takes a lot of, this is like a sneaky thing, but it takes a lot of compassion to understand that sometimes you need different tools in your journey, you know? Yeah. Sometimes the thing that you need to do is lie on the couch. Sometimes the thing you need to do is go for a walk. Sometimes the thing you need to do is to distract yourself or let yourself numb for an hour. And then the tool you need next is to eat really healthy for five days because it makes your mind feel good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That requires like a level of acceptance of yourself that is really important. Um, I also, okay. So how do you change this and finally lose the weight? Right. Because as much as I want to say, honor your coping mechanism, you also want to change it and change your relationship to it. And that's mm -hmm. totally valid. Um, you've realized that this is unhealthy for you. This is not how you want to live your life. So what do you do? Um, three things, change your goals. I'll come back to that in a second Two: enter into a conversation with your body on the daily. We'll come back to that. And three, invite safe, tactile bodied experiences. We'll come back to that. Okay. So changing your goals. I don't know if this is what you're doing, but I, it struck me that you mentioned the soul cycle, right? The soul cycle and the yes. elliptical machine. Elliptical. Yep. Sometimes we can use the right tool in the wrong way, right? This is important too. If I take a wrench to, I should stop using the tool metaphor because I don't know how tools work. <laughs> it's okay. If I use a hammer to try to fix a pipe, it's probably not going to fix the pipe, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's a bad tool or that I should throw it away. It's just there for a different job. Um, I'm wondering, letter writer, if you're beating yourself up with exercise. I see this a lot with veterans who join CrossFit as a way to kind of uh, work out some of their guilt or um, self-hatred or whatever. That's a whole other topic. Um, but I wonder if this is part of what you're doing. Um, it's also worth noting that that kind of cardio um, can also have the the impact of increasing your stress hormones. And so it's possible that you need to kind of explore different kinds of movement. Mm -hmm. um, so when we talk about changing our goals, could you change your goal from thinness or weight loss to safety and strength, right? Could you take um, a self-defense class or get into um, you know, uh, martial arts or boxing as a way to feel empowered, not as a way to lose weight, um, but as a way to feel more empowered and strong. And then that will have the added benefit of you will lose weight because those exercises burn tons of calories. 
Um, I think that can be really powerful. That seems like a small reframe, you know? I think it's important though. Yeah. Shifting. I know the times in my life when I focused more on, more on those goals than like losing weight. It's, it not only is more effective, but it lasts. Right. It's not the yo-yo thing that we all, all do, you know? Yeah. It's a longer term. It's a, it's a bigger goal. It's a bigger umbrella. Yeah. It's not so specific. Yeah. You know, I, w- I want to feel strong. I want right. to feel empowered. It's, right. it's a whole lot different than I want to lose 10 pounds right. or yeah. Right. It's coming at it from a, a position of strength instead of something punitive in a way. I totally. Yeah. That's actually, that's a great way to put it. Cause it's like the practical way of um, switching from shame to acceptance. Right. You're not like, oh, I have to be this weight in order to be okay. You're like, okay, what I'd really like to feel is strong. Yeah. That I could defend myself. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, it also has the effect of like all of those exercises have the effect of grounding, which will naturally help with anxiety, any anxiety that you might be feeling. Um, I also and I think we're, sorry, yeah, no. with the um, pandemic, we're in this place where you can try so many different things mm-hmm. without even leaving the house, right. you know? And don't yep. force it. If it doesn't feel right, yep. move on to the next thing. Because yep. there are so many options out there right now. Totally. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home, not in front of anybody. You know? Exactly. That's huge. Right. And, and also like try to invite maybe like fun into it, right? You could do, do a Zumba class online. Do, there are a lot of them are free. Um, do a... Um, take a salsa class because you want to learn how to, how to do that dance and that you like that music, not because you're trying to lose weight, you know? Right. Um, Yeah, totally bring, bring all of that in. I'm worried that that sounds like superficial. I don't mean it to, you know? How so? What do you mean? I don't want to sound like, Oh, like just go like do some dance class. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's about changing your your relationship with your body, bring it with you, dance, move with it, make it stronger because that feels good. Not because you hate it. Right. You know what I mean? No, I think, I think you're making a lot of sense. I think that also the idea of being grounded. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of Tai Chi. Tai Chi is one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. Holy hell. I know. (laughs) You know, try, try that. And you're just so, if you've seen people doing it, they're so strong in their, in their stance. Yeah. So they're completely straight to the ground. Yep. I mean, it could be fun just to experiment with different things and um, mm-hmm. see if something, you know, what sticks to the wall, what works. Right. Or what right. feels good. Right. And if it doesn't, don't do it. Don't go back, close the computer, stop in the middle of the class, like give yourself that. Cause that's important too. Right. Is that you're letting your body like say like, I don't I, know. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't feel right. Yeah. Right. Running is never going to be a thing that I do. Like not never. Lots of other things will. That's okay. I can listen to myself about that. And it doesn't mean that I'm like a failure of a human because I don't run, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think like cognitively, when we talk about changing our goals, the goal of trauma healing is integration, not getting over. Getting over is not possible. Um, that's not how the brain works. You can't, I don't know who came up with this concept, but I, they were wrong. You can't get over things. That doesn't mean you can't heal though. You can integrate something into your life story in a way that feels completely different by shifting the meaning around it and your relationship to the memory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't mean like that you can't get over in terms of the sense, like, I don't mean to say that you're going to always feel bad. I think that you, there might be traces of this experience that stick around forever, but you can change the way you relate to those traces. I used to think that I was going to be, I've struggled with anxiety since I was like, you know, born. And I used (laughs) to think like I was going to be, I was just going to feel this way all the time. There was a period of my life where I was outrageously anxious and it was, it took over my life completely. And I thought like, okay, well, I just have to like keep moving with this because this is just how it is. 
And in a way I was right. And in a way I was wrong because anxiety is always a thing. Like that will be something that pops up in my life all the time. But if you, if you had told me then that I could feel the way that I do now in relationship to my anxiety, I would have been like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Back then I had the goal of making it stop forever. And that's not realistic. How do you, how do you walk with your anxiety now? How would you describe it now? It's, I, this sounds so like ridiculous and cheesy. Sometimes I like, do you ever hear yourself talking and you're like, I am a ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. All the time. (laughs) I've almost like befriended it. It's a very good barometer for me. When I'm anxious about something, there's a reason. Oh, I love that. And it's, um, it can be very small, but instead of trying to go to war with it and shove it down and battle it, I let it in and I ask like, what do you, what do you need? Do you need to? And sometimes it's really simple. Like yesterday, it was like I was extremely overstimulated after being on Zoom for like 17 hours and I needed to like lie on the floor and listen to sad music. And so I did that. And then it was gone. Yeah. Like, so I've befriended it and then it it, it tells me what it needs. It sounds it's completely wacky. No, it doesn't. And I do it and then it goes away. And it's right. usually a good thing. Like it's usually that it's it's popping up because something is off I'm in a bad situation. I need to be doing something different. I'm about to hit a wall in terms of my energy or whatever. Um, it's I'm I'm grateful for it. Which sounds crazy. No, I love that. That makes perfect sense. You you let it in and you you walk with it, right? And I name it and I say this is uncomfortable and I don't. I, I it's like you know I it, it's. I don't want it to be here right now. It is here again, but going down that spiral of, I'm going to feel like this always, when is this going to stop? Why haven't I healed? What the hell's wrong with me? I wish I was normal. All these things just make right. it, amplify it and make it worse. Right. Cause it's like, you're trying to shove down something that's like trying to pop up, you know? Right. Well, I think it's also, you know, and I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding this, but you know, that there are certain stages that you go through and then it's over. And then, and then, and that is so not true. (laughs) That is, you know, there couldn't be anything further from the truth. Like you said, these things are not, they don't end. And, And that's not, I know that sounds scary and terrible, but it's part of your story. And you, I think accepting it and integrating it is a whole lot healthier than beating yourself up for still feeling the way you feel. Yeah, totally. Totally. I'm trying to think of a good metaphor, but, but I can't, but yeah, I mean, you can, that being said, accepting it enables you to radically change your relationship to it. Right. Which means you'll have a lot less, but yeah, I mean, point, point out a thing that's linear in the whole fucking world, excuse my language, but like nothing is linear. Why do we expect that these most vulnerable and painful experiences are going to be linear? Of course not. Right. You know? <laughs> like, right. I feel like they change. I, I mean, I don't know anything about the brain chemistry or, or, but I feel like they just change all like they do all the neurons. Like what, what, I don't, I'm not sure the right words, but like, <laughs> Sorry, I made you laugh. Um, but they just, it's like you, you completely like your chemistry is changed by yeah, these totally. events. They, um, they shift your, so we can talk about the brain in two ways. I won't go crazy with this, but um, there's two, the, so the brain, the two things we talk about in the brain are blood flow and electrical activity. Okay. So blood flow gets reprioritized based on whatever you're experiencing, both in your internal world and also in the outside world, but also your, your, your like circuitry responds as well. And traumatic experience changes your circuitry in your brain so that certain um, pathways get lit up and prevent you from deep focus when you're nervous, for example, just as one kind of, you know, tiny little thing you can't access the circuit that's responsible for deep focus when you're super scared. And again, that's, you can see why that from an evolutionary perspective makes sense. You shouldn't be able to do both of those things because you might be in danger. You know what I mean? Yeah. But neurofeedback, um, which go, go Google Seaburn Fisher. If you're interested in this letter writer, because neurofeedback is a way to um, train your electrical circuits to respond differently to stimuli. So you use basically video games to, to reward certain circuits firing and to not reward others. And then you can actually shift the circuitry of your brain. 
So as much as trauma can have an impact, we can also heal, right? Like it's not the fact that trauma imprints means we can also imprint, you know? Yeah. I love that. So that's, it's funny because you guys can't see this, but Lisa was making these like circuit. (laughs) And I was like, yes, exactly. Okay. So change your goals. Um, Stop beating yourself up. Change your goals. It's easy for me to say, bring that to your therapist. That's that, that, that's a lot of work to do. Um, The second thing, and this is related to everything we've been talking about is entering into a conversation with your body. When we have trauma, we become disconnected from our bodies. That that's just a fact. No matter what trauma you're dealing with you, you are in some sense disconnected with your body. Um, And your body is a barometer for all the things. And so you're disconnected from your most important source of information. So you need to find a way to compassionately check in with your body every single day. Um, and that's, that can be scary, especially if you've been disconnected for, for reasons like you, where you've got a violent rape that's happened. And so you've disconnected potentially because to, again, to keep yourself safe. Um, so learning how to come back into your body can be really scary, but there's a lot of really safe ways you can do that. That are really small. They don't necessarily have to be about going into like, what does anxiety feel like in my body? It can just be like, could you for five days really intentionally notice what it feels like in your body to sit on your couch? What does it feel like in your body to, to lie on the floor? What does it feel like in your body when you're taking a walk? What does tired feel like in your body? Um, And you'll notice that you'll go, you'll flip into cognitive mode and you'll be like, well, it feels like I can't think straight. Okay. No, no. What does it feel like in your body? Where are your legs? This all sounds ridiculous. The first time a therapist ever told me to like drop into my body, my instant response was fuck you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that is funny. That that was her response too. Fuck you. No, she was like, oh, that's interesting that that's your response. And I was like, yeah, can I leave? Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? But that was a sign that I had, like resistance is always a sign of something important. And that was a sign that I did, I did not feel safe in my body. So checking in with it felt like I, my instant reflex was like, no, absolutely not. You know, but it's one of the most powerful in, in terms of my own healing, that's been probably the most powerful thing is, is being like, okay, I feel like I, not only can I say that I'm anxious, I feel my anxiety in my heart. I can feel it in my fingers. It makes me feel nauseous, right? Like being able to say that and articulate it is really powerful. Um, It's a sign of emotional intelligence and embodied knowledge, right? We are embodied beings. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really important. And I say compassionately because it's it's not a way to check in and again, to beat yourself up. So you don't want to check in and say, I feel hungry. Damn it. I already ate today. I was trying not to eat. I want to do different. Oh, well, how can I be hungry? Right. That's all again, that's cognitive, but it's also negative. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. Do you do anything like that? Like check in? Oh, physically. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, th- I take a walk every day with the dog and I think that um, yeah. I, I try very hard now to um, be completely in my body during yeah. that time. Yeah. And it's not a lot of time, yeah. you know, out of the day, but it's yeah. um, I'm out outside in nature or whatever's going on weather wise. And I just try and feel sounds silly, but like my feet as they hit the yeah. ground and, you know, the, um, you know, how whatever's going on weather-wise feels against my face. And I just, I, I try to be really present during that one time of the day, which is probably the only time I'm really doing it, but it's, um, it, it brings peace. It, it brings a sense of I'm completely in this moment right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're describing grounding, you know, like that's per- that's exactly right. Yeah. And I think I'm glad you brought up walking because it does not need to be uh, like an immobile activity. If you don't feel safe sitting in your experience, that is number one, to be expected and two, completely fine. 
Yeah. Um, you can do it while you're walking. You can do it while you're, you know, whatever in the shower, you can do it while you're washing dishes. Like, it's just, the point is bringing yourself into, it's like, you're turning on that channel just to see what's there. Right. Like what's, what's happening? Because the more you, the more you are used to that channel, the more you, you know about what's happening there in your body. And then that will also then you'll get to a place where you can intervene much more quickly. So if overeating or binging is an issue, when you're in a relationship with your body, where you start to notice the, whatever it is that's triggering that like four hours sooner, then you're much more likely to be able to do something else. Okay. And notice that you're, that you need to numb or that you're feeling overwhelmed, but then you choose the tool rather than the tool choosing you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Super life-changing. Yeah. Um, and then the last one was inviting safe tactile experiences. I don't know what you are, what your life looks like. If you have a partner, if you have people around you, um, a dog, anything like that. But um, it's really important when we have violence on against the body that we, we give the body opposite action, opposite experience. So you had the feeling of violation and violence and lack of safety. So it's really important that on a daily basis, you give yourself the opposite experience. Um, so this can be done with yourself or it can be done with other people. That's called co-regulation when you kind of like recruit somebody else to help you uh, bring that experience in. Um so that could be hugs, that could be hand-holding, that could just be like gentle touch. And you can do that with yourself, right? Like you can hug yourself and um, the poor little part of your brain doesn't actually know the difference between when you're hugging yourself and when someone else is hugging you. So some of the same positive chemicals get released, which I kind of think is kind of cute. <laughs> poor little brain. <laughs> um, but bringing those things back in and choosing them is a way of like giving yourself the, the opposite experience. Um, and there's a whole world of stuff you can do in that area. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, we get tricked. I think when we have had violence into thinking that we are permanently not fully in charge of our bodied experience and we then like find other experiences that mirror that to sort of prove it to our unconscious. And so it's really, really important to engage in ways intentionally um, where we are saying, okay, I'm going to give myself the following tactile experience. I'm going to hug the dog for 30 seconds and just feel how lovely and warm that feels. And this is an example. Then you kind of cognitively flip that on and imprint it and say, this is, I'm giving myself positive touch, safe yep. touch. Um yeah. Okay. Last thing. Oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. No, no. no These things ahead. might feel funny to do or uncomfortable, but it's like an assignment, right? It's something you just have to oh, keep okay. doing yep. over and over and over again. Yep. Okay. And, and just, and do it and do it like uh, you can do it however you want. Angrily is fine. <laughs> you know, talk about how this is crap and this person told you to do it and it's dumb. You're still doing it. Right. Right. You're still getting the benefit. Right. But okay. just, just, and even just a couple days, I think if you do some of these things, you'll start to see a change. Yeah. Like, oh, one of the, the smallest things, I love this for anxiety. Hold on. Um, I don't know why I'm going to like show this because it's a podcast, but I have these um, little acupressure rings. Have you ever seen these? No. Did we talk about these before? Uh-uh. That looks like it hurts. It doesn't, um, you feel it, but it doesn't hurt. So the, um, the, the, the letter writer talked about acupuncture, I think, and acupressure, um, these yeah. rings you can buy on Amazon. I think I have like 40 of them in my desk drawer for, uh, you know, $9 and they, you can just roll them over your fingers and it comes with a chart and it tells you like where to roll for certain effects based on okay. acupressure. Um, and you that can describe what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So it's a little like spiky looking ring that you can roll over your finger. Um, and it brings sensation, but not pain. Like you it's, can push it's like rubber. It's not, it's metal. Oh, it's metal. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. It's not, um, this is weird to try to describe. 
it's not like spiky, like in the sense of like needles, it's spiky in the sense of like, it's like a scrunchie, but a metal scrunchie. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like wire kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can kind of roll it, but you can push it against your skin pretty hard and it doesn't like feel lots of pain. Um, little tiny things like that. People told me about forever and I was like, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's dumb. Just try it. <laughs> it might work. You might be right. Yeah. All the stuff is based on brain science. It's not hooey, you know? <laughs> yeah. So trust it. Okay. Last thing. This is super powerful. Um, David Morris wrote a book called um, The Evil Hours. And he said that trauma is the glimpse of truth that tells us a lie. The lie that love is impossible, that peace is an illusion. Trauma is what happens when you catch a surprise glimpse of the darkness in the world, the coming annihilation, not only of the body and the mind, but also seemingly of the world. Trauma is the savagery of the universe made manifest within us, and it destroys not only the integrity of consciousness, the myth of self-mastery, and the experience of time, but also our ability to live peacefully with others, almost as if it were a a virus, a pathogen content to do nothing besides replicate itself in the world over and over until only it remains. Trauma, again, is the glimpse of a truth that tells us a lie, the lie that love is impossible, that peace is an illusion. I know. Wow. I know. The truth is that a terrible thing happens to you, and it revealed to you something very deep, which is that we are vulnerable in the world. And we are vulnerable to physical bodily harm, to psychological destruction, to the experience of deep distrust that we feel like we can't recover from, right? Like, um, that's a truth. The lie is that you have to stay there. The lie is that that reality is the only reality, that that truth is the only truth. It coexists with other ones. So don't let that one take over all the rest of your life. Wow. Trauma is a truth that tells you a lie. Hmm. Yeah. That's like right on. I know. It gives me goosebumps. I know. It's like a little bit shattering, you know, but, but real. Mm-hmm. but honest, but hopeful too. Yes. Oh. Yeah. You know, I had a therapist who very sweetly for like three years just reminded me every single week that the darkness was not the only thing. It can feel like the only thing. Yeah, and I would go back every week and I'd be like, well, what about this? And he'd be like, <laughs> he'd be like, yes. And right. Like, not that that doesn't exist. It is a truth. It does exist. The lie is that it's the only thing. That's powerful. Yeah. Okay. I hope that's helpful, letter writer. I I, I feel your pain, and I hope that that is helpful in some way. Thank you also for writing, because you are certainly not the only person who's gone through this or going through this. And so your story helps other people understand their own experience too. You know, it's very brave to tell your story like that. Yeah, it is. It is. And especially about the coping, you know, no one talks about that. Right. And that's, please forgive yourself for what you did to survive. Yeah. Give yourself a hug. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Tiny little joy. Sure. You have one? I do. Do you? I do. So again, just, we do this because, um, a couple of reasons connecting with tiny little joys brings the, the, the focus, the blood flow and the electrical circuits in the brain, um, go to the part of the brain that's responsible for connectivity and joy. And so that's the brain way to remember that the darkness is not the only thing. And they can be very small. Mine today is tiny, like really tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go first? Um, sure. I can go first. Um, okay. So mine is, I'm going to like hold this up. I was wearing um, like dumb face masks, like the ones you get for free in the mail from like, 
you know, what a world we live in now. We used to get those, like, remember you used to get like the address stickers in the mail for free. And that was like a score. Yeah. yeah. Now we get like free face masks in the mail. Cause we don't mail things anymore. So right. we don't need the address stickers. Right. <laughs> exactly. But we adapted. And so uh, I was wearing, and I hated them all. Like it was just whatever free face mask I got. I have that one too. You? Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I, that's the one I wear all the time. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's so funny. So I, I, I was hearing really good things about the Athleta um, face masks because they are, um, there's a couple layers of fabric, but they're breathable. And so you can wear them when you're exercising or taking a walk or whatever, and you don't get all like sweaty and condensy and disgusting. Um, and so I went this weekend to Athleta and bought a, like a hundred face masks and they're adjustable which is awesome too. So you can like make them as tight as you want or not. They fit over your actual whole nose and mouth (laughs) and they don't move if you or like shift and open up if you like yawn or like swallow, (laughs) which I felt like was happening with some of the crappy ones. And there's a little metal piece that goes over your nose. So it's like shapeable, but it's not, um, it's not painful like the N95s. And I just like giving myself that experience of like having, I have to wear a mask all the fucking time, you know? And so being able to like pick it and be like, oh, I I actually, this is comfortable and I like it is uh, like a revelation. (laughs) It's fabulous, right? It is. But, and this one says kindness and it's funny because I just held it up and you're like, I have the same one. I love the idea that we're on opposite coasts walking around with the same (laughs) face mask on. (laughs) I got a huge kick out of that. Probably like the same outfit and the same. Definitely the same outfit. Makeup and glasses. (laughs) Right. Oh, I love that. That is a good one. Yeah, it is. So that's my tiny little joy. It's really small, but that's it. My tiny little joy is um, the nail polish kit that you sent me. Oh, yay. For Christmas, the (laughs) Olive and June nail polish kit, because um, for some reason, and this is, it's funny that you said earlier that you don't want to think about something in your career. 10 years ago, when... (laughs) When I was thinking about this in my career, I was like, oh shit, that was 20 years ago. Oh my God. Um, but I was running a J. Crew store in Boston and it was busy and it was Christmas time. And you know, you work until midnight and then you go back at 7 a.m. the next morning and you're folding sweaters and you're just, you know, you want to jump off a bridge because it's crazy and people are yelling at you and it's high stress. And, you know, doesn't that sound like so fun right now though? <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, after we've been inside, I was imagining for so long. Yeah, the festivity of it. You know, exactly. God, that's it. That was a different world. But um, even back then, like in the midst of all that chaos, I remember saying to a boss, "If my nails are red, like somehow that makes me feel better. Yeah, like, that's like some like grounding thing. And yeah. um, it's just it's always been a tiny little joy for me. And oh, I, yeah. I don't know where it started. I don't know how it, it happened, but it was mom. Yeah. 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 Cause her nails were always done. Yeah. And, um, Mac sent me this, this nail polish kit, olive and June highly recommend, um, uh, for Christmas. And there's the perfect red in that kit. Oh, yay. And, um, I just, I know, and, and this is not like, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I've been wearing the same two pants <laughs> for the last two pairs of pants since last March. You know, I have like a lightweight jogger and a fleece lined <laughs> legging and that's it. So this is not some like high, grooming situation that's going on here at all you know barely wash my hair no makeup anymore forget it but somehow if my nails are painted this particular shade of red like it's it brings me joy makes me happy (laughs) thank you for sending that and uh reminding me that um that's that's a touch point and it feels good oh I love that I'm so glad that it like worked out it's fantastic. Those nail polishes are terrific. If you haven't well, tried the them, you kit, need to. Like I, doesn't it like make it sort of like, um, like foolproof to yes. do uh, manicure, even on the wrong hand? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 They include everything and there's some tutorials on their website and it's really easy and fun. And I'm pretty sure the nail polishes are um, one of those like seven free or yeah. not. Like they're, they're pretty clean as far yeah. as nail polish goes. So it's, um, oh, nice. it's just, yeah, it makes me happy. We'll put the links somewhere for these things. We these are not ads, by the way. These are just things we are that we like are into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I love that. That's great. Yay. See, it can be little. It can be really, really little. 
Okay, so if you like this, um, please leave a um, a comment or a rating. Uh, we're learning out how we're learning how to find those. We we have ratings, which is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell a friend, subscribe, um, and come back next week. Also, if you want to write in, just email us at uh, thetraumatapes at gmail.com. Um, feel free to send a voice memo too. If you're overwhelmed writing your whole story, you can send us a recording of yourself talking. We won't play it unless you tell us that that's okay. Um, but we will, I can transcribe it and we can write the, we can do the letter that way. So um, yeah. And the, you know, as you see in the letters, just get, you know, explain a little bit about what's going on and, uh, what you're stuck on and we will explain it and help try to help you understand it and, and heal. Okay, good to see you. Thanks, guys. You too. Thanks. <laughs>